Hey, we are in a series right now called Thy Kingdom Come. If you want to go ahead and pull out your Bible, pull out your notes, pull out something to write in. Uh, we're diving today in a topic that I think is, is almost like diving into shark-infested waters. Uh, this is a topic that we haven't really talked a lot about, to be honest with you, because uh, just didn't feel like we needed to. But this is a season where we do need to speak into it. And uh, we're going to talk about government and politics today. And, and so we're going to see what God has to say about it. How many know God does have something to say about the season that we're in right now? He's got something that he wants us to do. So I just want you to know, over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be kind of diving into this as we get closer to the election. I'll let you know what we're not doing and then what we are doing. What we're not doing is I'm, I'm not trying to get you to change parties. I'm not trying to even get you to change even the way that you vote. What I'm trying to get you to do, and our prayer for you, is that you will come at this from God's perspective. I mean, oh, God's got a perspective that he has for this. God has established our country and our, our, our country is founded on God principles. And so we've got to return to that. And I want to pray that we would, over these next 30 minutes, however you are, however you think through this process of the politics and government, can I just ask you to do something with me for 30 minutes? Can we just listen in for what God has to say? God's, how many know there's been a lot of voices lately? Come on, how many know we need to only hear one of them right now? One voice needs to be the loudest more than anything. And so that's what, that's what my prayer is today is that we would listen in for what God has to say to us. And I want to start with the end, and I want us to look at Matthew chapter 10. So if you got your Bibles, or if you want to turn your Bibles on, however that works for you, Matthew chapter 10 is where we're going to go today. And I, I want to set it up and show you something that uh, I hadn't seen. I've uh, been preaching the Bible for a long time, never even really noticed this, but when Jesus chose his 12 disciples, he chose a very unique group of people. I knew that they were young, I knew that they were uh, some fishermen, I knew somewhat of their professions, but I want to show you something maybe you've never seen before. Matthew chapter 10, starting in verse 1, says, Jesus gathered his 12 disciples and imparted to them authority to cast out demons and to heal every sickness and every disease. Come on, how many thankful our God is a healer? He is a healer. Which I want to just tell you, man, I, I, I had a story of that that happened this week, and I just feel like God needs to get some glory in this. I, I had a guy that's in our church called me, um, actually messaged me on Facebook, said, can you call me ASAP? I called him. What's up, man? You okay? He said, my brother's house burnt down in Eunice. He was in the house. Someone banged on the door. Um, he, he was out of it, drug him out. 80% of his body was burned. He said he's, he's at uh, Lord's right now, and they said if your body's burned more than 50%, you have, it's usually it's very hard to come back from that and to survive. They said they're about to take him into surgery. Just really pray. Can you pray? Can you pray? I could tell he was shaken up. So we prayed and prayed and prayed. And, um, and so he calls me five minutes later. I'm like, what? So, he, hey, man. He said, praise God. <laughs> I said, what? He said, my brother just called me. I said, what? I said, I thought your brother was unconscious. He says, he was, but he just called me. And uh, the doctor said that they've seen a miracle and, and he is going to make it. He's going to be perfectly fine. They're going to bring him into surgery. But he said he needed to call me. And so he called me. I said, well, hey, praise God. Come on, how many know he's a miracle worker? He can, he can heal diseases. He can heal the sick. This is the power that Jesus gave these disciples. Now let's look at the team that he gave. It says, now these are the names of the first 12 apostles. First, Simon, who is named Peter. Then Andrew, his brother. And then there's Jacob. And there's John, the sons of Zebedee. Then he goes on and he says, next was Philip and Bartholomew, and then there was Thomas, and then there was, everybody say this one, there was Matthew, 
the tax collector. Okay, we're going to come back to him. Jacob, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, verse 4 says, and Simon, the member of the zealot party. Member of the zealot party. We'll highlight that. We'll come back to that as well. And Judas, the locksmith. Um, I guess if your donkey got locked up, you got to, you know, you got to have... That's a bad joke. I'm sorry. Okay. Who eventually betrayed Jesus. All right. So we got, we got Matthew and we got Simon. Everybody say Matthew, Matthew. Simon. Simon. Okay. Now watch this. Matthew was pro-government. Matthew was a tax collector. Uh, Matthew worked for the government, and he was a bit of a swindler as well. If you know the stories of, of tax collectors, they were crooks. They would take whatever the government would need, and they would take extra on top of that. But he was definitely pro-government. He benefited from that. Um, he, he worked for that. So he was that. Then Jesus also brings on to the team Simon, the zealot party. The zealot party was anti-government. They wanted to burn the government down, didn't want to have anything to do with the government. And so here you are on Jesus' top 12. He's got pro-government, uh, Matthew, and he's got anti-government, Simon. Can you imagine what those dynamics were like? These two guys have now been brought into the crew of Jesus. They're following Jesus everywhere. And you can imagine the conversations and the debates and the talks that they have late at night as Matthew, who was pro-government, and then you have Simon that wants to have nothing to do with government. And now these two guys are on the same team following Jesus. And that leads to a question that I want to ask today, and here is the big question that we all need to answer. You don't have to answer it out loud, but the question is, are we willing to put our faith filter ahead of our political filter? Are we willing to be a people that we put faith at the forefront over anything politics? How many know when they followed Jesus, all of that stuff had to take second place to Jesus being number one? Jesus was number one in the midst of that. So we're going to look at this idea, and that's what we're looking at, is how, do we, how does faith fit into everything that's happening politically? So the question is, does Jesus have anything to do with politics? Well, if you, if you look at the story of Jesus, let me, let me set this up by giving you a kind of a working definition of politics. Here's a working definition of politics, ready? It says it this way. Politics is a set of decisions and thought processes designed to care for the people of a specific city or country. So politics is, or politician, what they do is, they are designed to stand before and make decisions, make rules, make laws that better the people that they represent. So governor does that for a state, a mayor does that for a city. You know, senators and congressmen, you know, in our national level do that for our, our country, a president as well. All of these guys, they, they have a set of decisions and thought processes that they have to work through that cares for the people that are under their authority. Okay, so here's the question, ready? Does God have a set of decisions and thought processes designed to care for his people? Yes or no? Yes, yeah, it's not a trick question. Okay, yes, he does. He has, a, he has designs and he has decisions and he has thought processes that he wants as well for his people. So 
That's, that's really what politics is. Politics at its best is a decision and thought process that care for people. Now we all know though, that as soon as people get into power, then it's not necessarily what's best for people. Come on, how I many know it's best now for, for me or for my only certain group of people. So it, it, it gets very tainted. But I want us to look through scripture and I want us to ask this question of what does God have to do when it comes into politics? And I want us to set up, we're going to get, get three big thoughts today. Number one is Jesus acknowledged the government of man. If you read throughout the gospels, Jesus acknowledged the government. When Jesus was born into this world, he was born as the king of the Jews. And we know that Herod, Herod King Herod, heard that there was, a, there was someone that was going to be born into this kingdom that was going to be the king of the Jews. And so because of his fear that he was going to be overruled, even though it was just a baby that showed up, he sent out a decree to try to kill all of them. And then you fast forward, and you know the crucifixion of Jesus. Jesus was crucified because of politics. Jesus was brought to a cross and nailed to a cross because a, a king washed his hands of it and says, y'all just handle it. I don't even want to have, have to deal with this. But we know that he was scourged and beaten and crucified because of politics and, of course, even bad religion. But I want to show you one certain situation in, in Luke chapter 20 where Jesus is brought to a question. A question is brought to him, and the question is this. Jesus, do we need to pay taxes? Okay. And so they're, they're putting Jesus in a tight spot to make a decision. What do we do when it comes to taxes? Do we have to pay them? And this is his response. Now tell us if it's right for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not. And he saw through their what? <laughs> their trickery. They're trying to trick them. And he says to them, show me a Roman coin whose picture and title are stamped on it. And they reply and say, Caesar's. So they replied, well, well, then he said, everybody help me with this. Give to Caesar. what belongs to Caesar and give to God. God what belongs to God. Okay, so if we were to ask that to Jesus in this moment, in this stage where we are in our politics, in, in our nation, God, what do we do as election is approaching? I think he would say it this way. Give your vote to man, but make sure you give your heart to God. Give your vote to man, but make sure you give your heart to God. How many know we should be a part of the voting process? You should. You should vote as a Christian and as a follower and as a citizen. You have the incredible opportunity and responsibility to vote. We're thankful for that. How many know in these days you didn't get to vote a king? You just got one. You didn't vote them in. You didn't vote them out. Like you, you got what you got. But we as a, as a, as a nation get the opportunity to do that. The problem with this is, what ends up happening, watch this, is people don't give their vote to man and their heart to God, they give their heart to man. They give their emotions and their devotion to man or to a party or to a politician. or to, They give all of themselves to a man and, and God's going, listen, you should give the vote to him, but you better make sure that you give your heart to me. Your heart belongs to me. And I love what C.S. Lewis said when he said it this way. He who surrenders himself without reservation to the temporal claims of a nation or a party is rendering to Caesar that which of all things most emphatically belongs to God himself remember the Bible says for us to love God with all of our heart mind soul and strength that we are to put all of our energy and all of our effort and all of our passion and all of our love to God and God alone so we should vote for man but we need to make sure that we give our heart 
to God in all that we do. So Jesus did acknowledge that there was government and that we need to go through the process. Yes, pay your taxes. He would even say that to you. Yes, pay your taxes. Nobody wants to pay them. How many? Nobody wants to pay them. Okay. I mean, no, you don't even pay them anymore. They just take them. Okay. So, all right. Yes to that, but make sure that you're giving your heart to God. Number two is this ready. Not only did Jesus acknowledge that there was a government. I love this part. Jesus announced his own government, the kingdom of God. He announces his own and this is, this is what he says. Watch in John 18, verse 36. Everybody help me with this. And Jesus answers to them and says, my kingdom is not a, it's not an earthly kingdom. If it were, my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish leaders. But here we go. My kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom. Jesus has got his own kingdom. Now, uh, my wife, Lindsay, is here and uh, did an awesome job this morning. Thank you, babe. Love you. She is amazing. We found out a couple years ago that my wife has food allergies. Anybody in here got food allergies? Like you, you've ever gone and done the allergy testing? Lindsay went and did the allergy testing and found out that she's allergic to eggs, which she was eating every morning. That could be a problem. Uh, bananas. And she was allergic to gluten. Okay. If you don't know what gluten is, it's just in everything. Okay. <laughs> it's in everything. And so she found out that she was allergic to gluten. And, and because of that, uh, because of that allergy, every time she would eat it, it would flare up and make her feel really sick. So it became kind of a very frustrating thing for her because um, anything that tastes good has gluten. Uh, and so uh, a, lot of, a lot of the things that are really good for you... Um, she would eat because they don't taste as good, but things that don't taste good, how I many know Popeyes? And um, she can't eat that. So what, what would end up happening is it would not only make it difficult at home because we've got to figure out like how to cook at home for all of our family, but it would make it difficult when we go to other people's houses. Because when we go to other people's houses, then she would have to ask the question, like, is there gluten in it? Does it have gluten-free and, and all this stuff? And what would end up happening many times is she'd have to bring her own food to the dinner at other people's houses because she had prepared it for herself. She had her, she had her own. It's all that's what happens. I think a lot of what's happening right now with this story with Jesus when he's talking about his kingdom, I mean, no, they're coming and going, Jesus, are you Democrat? And he's like, nope. Are you Republican? Nope. He goes, I brought my own kingdom. I got my own kingdom here. This is my own. And he is now telling them that he's got something that they're very unaware of. He's got his own kingdom in this moment. Jesus uh, also gives us a story of this in Joshua, when Joshua is leading the children of Israel into the promised land. They've been wandering for 40 years, and here we are, they're in the promise, about to go into the promised land, but they've got to fight some battles. And they're about to fight, their first battle is the Battle of Jericho. Many of you, if you've ever been in Sunday school, you know, you know Joshua fit the Battle of Jericho, 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 and Co. And so, if you know that, before this happens, he, he has an encounter. Now, most theologians, theologians think this is theologians. <laughs> that's, a new, that's a new kind. Uh, most theologians believe that this is what's called a theophany. And a theophany is when Jesus himself shows up. Uh, many believe that when Daniel and, uh, I mean, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were in the fire, there was a theophany because they saw four people that Jesus showed up with them. Daniel in the lion's den, he probably had a theophany where Jesus was there with them in the midst of the lions. That there's these moments in the Old Testament where Jesus would show up. Many people believe that this is a moment where Jesus shows up or at least sends a representative on his behalf. 
And so Joshua, watch what happens in Joshua chapter 5. So when Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and he looked. And behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. So imagine you roll up on the scene and a guy's got his, his sword drawn. He's going to ask a question all of us would probably ask if you were to pull up and someone had a gun on you. All right. This is what he says. Watch this. And Joshua goes to him and he says, everybody help me. Are you for us or are you for our for our adversaries are you come on i mean that's a good question to ask whenever you're facing somebody with a big old giant sword in front of you okay are you on my team <laughs> are you on somebody else's team what, what's what's going on here in this moment and here we are joshua's going are you with us or or, or are you with them he's about to go to jericho because based off of whatever the answer is going to be is going to be the position that he's about to take if they're with him He's going to be like, hey, yeah, let's go. Okay, we got this. If he's against them, then I'll, how many of you know now he's got to either draw his sword or he's got to rally his troops. He's got to figure out something. So he's sizing up what's going on in this situation. And you got to think, if this is a God moment and he's having a moment with God, this is, this is a question that we got to ask because Joshua is leading the children of Israel. The children of Israel are God's people, Right? Yes, called by God, children of Israel. Joshua was elected to lead God's people. So you would think that if he has an encounter with God and he asks God, whose side are you on? He's going to definitely say, I'm on your side, right? Yes, that, that's what seems logical, that he would say, I'm on your side. I mean, we are the ones that follow God. You've got to be on our side and watch what the response is the next verse says and he says everybody help me no. no no are you with us no okay well if you're not with us then you're with them no are you are you a republican nope are you democrat nope well then you're an independent nope are you, are you, what are you? I don't know what you are. And watch what he says in this moment, because this is so huge. He says, uh, no, but I am a commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. Amen. So here's the question that I want to ask. How could God not be for them? They're his people. That's his leader. How would you not be for them? Here's why. Because the promised land was God's plan, but... It had to be done God's way. How many know they fought those battles differently than they normally, they were getting ready for war for Jericho, and how many know they didn't do it the way that they wanted to go do it? How many know they're glad they didn't do it? They just had to get, get the worship team together. It was nice. And God was telling them, no, 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 listen, I'm not on this side, I'm not on that side, no. I am my own, I'm bringing my own kingdom, I'm bringing my own thing into this, and this is what he says, ready? Because all of us go, well, is, is God conservative? Is he liberal? Is he Democrat? Is he Republican? What, what is God, ready? Here's what God is. God is a kingdom independent. He's a kingdom independent, that's what he is. Go, well, Pastor Josh, what are you? None of your business. Um, I'm joking. I am a kingdom independent. How many know as followers of Christ, we're all kingdom independents. We stand with God more than we stand with the side. And I love what Pastor uh, Evans, uh, Tony Evans said. He said this, God did not come to take sides. He came to take over. Yeah. Come on, how many know we got a God who comes to take over? 
And so listen, even though you have to vote for one or the other, that's perfectly fine. You have to. We've got to vote on one side or vote on another. The thing is, it's not about voting. It's about who's, I want to be with where God is. I want to be where God is in this moment. I want to, I want to vote how God would want me to vote in a way that honors God and blesses people. I want to be a, a person that understands that God did not come to take sides. God came to take over. And watch how this responds. They respond to him. It says, at this moment, Joshua falls on his face to the ground in reverence. I'm at your command, Joshua says. What do you want your servant to do? Which, by the way, can we just say that's probably one of the best questions we can ask God right now? What do you want your servant to do? And so the commander of the Lord's army replies and says, take off your sandals for the place where you're standing is holy. And Joshua did as he was told. This is what he said. This is really what he's saying. You know what I want you to do? I just want you to worship me. I just want you to worship me. I'm, I'm going to give you the strategy. I'm going to tell you what to do. But can we just first establish that I'm in charge? That I'm in charge. And you're going to submit your plan of how you think you're going to, how you're going to go, go to battle. You're going to submit, submit those plans to me. And I'm going to lead you. And I'm going to guide you. And I'm going to direct you. God is calling us in this moment to realize that when he entered onto the scene, he introduced and announced his own government and his own kingdom. And why that is good news for you and I is because, everybody listen to me, no matter how this election goes, how many know he's still the king of the kings and lord of lords, and he's still ruling and reigning? Can I just let you in on something? God ain't nervous. Can I just tell you, he's not nervous. I know that, that the Bible says that God sets kings in places and he takes kings out of places. I know that God can take godly kings and do great things with them and God can take ungodly rulers and do great things with them. And I just want you to know that is something, listen, that does not neglect your, uh, your, your commitment and your opportunity and your responsibility to vote. You need to do all of that and we need to exercise that, but you need to understand at the end of the day, don't get nervous because God's not nervous. God has a kingdom and he has his own kingdom and he is ruling and reigning, which leads to number three. Jesus has called us as his ambassadors of his kingdom. You and I are ambassadors for his kingdom. Look what 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says it this way. 2 Corinthians 5 says this, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ, every person who follows Christ, watch this, has become a new person. Everybody help me. The old life that's not everybody everybody help me okay the old life. there we go is gone and the has begun. This is what he's saying, that when we submit our life to Christ, when we accept him as the Lord and Savior of our life, how I many know the old ways of what we did is no longer. There is a new way to do things. Matthew shows up on the scene and talks about how he's pro-government, and Jesus says, nope, that's old. We got a new way. And then, and then Simon shows up and goes, I hate the government. And he goes, nope, we got a new way. How I many know when you come to Jesus, you get a new way of thinking, a new way of doing things. A new. This is a new life with a new heart, with a new desire to honor God and it says this watch watch what verse 18 says and all of this salvation is a gift from God the salvation that God gives us this new life he gives us is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ and God has given us the the task of reconciling people to him 
Watch this. This is huge. Verse 17 tells us what God saves us from. He saves us from our old life. He saves us from our sins, our guilt, our shame. But, but 18, 19, and 20 tell you what God saves you to. I mean, no, he didn't just save you from. He saved you to. He, he called you to do something, not just get saved and wait to get to heaven. How I many know he's got a purpose for you? He's got a passion for you. So he saves you from your old life. He gives you a new life. And now you go, God, what do you want me to do? And he goes, I'm going to now give you the task of reconciling other people to him. Verse 19, for God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against him. Can we just thank God for that one right there? No longer counting our sins against us. He gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. He's given us this message of reconciliation, that our message, our declaration, what we are declaring is the good news of the gospel, that God reconciles us to himself. Watch this. But God doesn't just reconcile us to himself. He also reconciles us with each other. He puts two people from two totally different parties, and he puts them on the same team, and he says, now, love God, but love each other. Work together. Be used by God. In this, you are a wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are. Verse 20. So we are Christ. Everybody, what does it say? Ambassadors. ambassadors. We are Christ ambassadors. I don't know if there's anybody in the room that loves, loves football. I am a, I love football. I love watching it. Uh, today, the Saints will play the Panthers. That's what they're going to play. You got the home team Saints against the away team Panthers. And they are going to take the field today and they are going to have three hours of intensive conflict up against each other like you can't imagine. And their whole mission is going to be to make sure that this other team does not win. That's their whole goal, is to make sure that the other team does not win at all. It's going to be intensive. They're going to be going at it. It's going to be hard hit. It's going to be... That's just what that game is. But what we fail to realize oftentimes is that there is a third team that gets inserted into the two teams. And that is a team that is made up of nine players. They are called the officials. Come on, how many know these guys right here? These guys show up as the officials. Watch this. The officials are on the field, but not of the field. They are, they are in the midst of the conflict, but they are not allowed to be a part of the conflict. These guys are committed to another kingdom that is at 345 Pork Park Avenue in New York City, and they are commissioned by King Goodell. King Goodell will tell them what they need to do in all of this, and they represent him, and they represent the NFL on behalf of everybody. These guys are easily identified. You can definitely find these guys on any field. They are not representing their team. They're representing their own team. They are highly outnumbered. 53 players on one team, 53 players on another, plus all the coaching staff, plus all of the fans that are in the, in the, the, uh, the arena. These nine guys, by the way, did not get into this because it's a popularity contest. How I many know these guys one day will be cheered and the next day will be booed? These guys will be loved and then they will be hated all in the same game. 
These guys, by the way, have been given a book. When they signed up to be a part of this, they were given a book. And that book is a guidelines to them to help them understand the decisions that need to be played on the field. This, this guidebook will help them make the right decisions at the right time in the midst of the chaos. This book is their guiding thing. They got to know it. They got to study it. They got to learn it. So that way, when they're in the midst of the chaos, they don't go to the book because they know the book. And so they stand in the middle of chaos and they make decisions based off of what the book says their popular opinions are submitted to the book they cannot make a call based off of popular opinions they have to make a call based off of what the book says according to the commission of the king goodell he tells them how things are to go they worked it out through that and from there they are making their their judgment calls based off of this there's not going to be a lot of applause for them at all but in the midst of the chaos these are men who make sure that the game is played in the right way can I tell you today that God has submitted and God has put you and I as the officials in the middle of conflict? Come on, I mean, no, we are in the middle of conflict. God has put his ambassadors in the middle of conflict, in cultural conflict, in racial conflict, Democrat versus Republican conflict, police versus citizens conflict, God versus no God conflict, mass versus no mass conflict. I mean, we are up in the middle of conflict and God thought in 2020, I'm going to put these people in the middle of it. And he's put you and I in the middle of this. And, and watch this. And he's given us a book. Come on, how many know he's given us a book on how to make decisions, what we are to do in the midst of all of this conflict that God has called us to go back to. And how many know all of our opinions has to be subject to the book. Whatever the book says on how we're to do it, that's how we are to do it. We come back to this book. So I want to I end today looking at verse 20, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 20, because God has called us as his officials in this conflict that we see so much chaos that's going on. People are cheering for sides, and we step onto the field. How crazy would it be for the officials to step onto the field? They're ruling for a quarter, and then one of them takes off their, their jersey and puts on the team jersey. I mean, y'all would be like, that official needs to get out of here. Why? Because they are representing another kingdom and they have to continue to represent that kingdom in all that they do. And 2 Corinthians 5 verse 20 says, we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak. We post. We share. We tweet. We text. For Christ, when we plead, come back to God. Come back to God. This is what God is calling us in this moment. Is we are his ambassadors. We're his officials on the field, compelling and calling people to come back to God. I mean, America will never change socially if America doesn't change spiritually. Come on, I mean, it's got to change spiritually. We've got to see a spiritual revival and awakening that's happening in our... I believe right now we are experiencing the passive wrath of God. We are living in a government that says, I don't want to have God. We're living in a time where people don't want to have God. And how many know when God says, when you tell God, I don't want you to hear, how many know he steps back and says, go ahead. 
But how I many know we need a people? If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and I will heal their lands. This is what God is calling us. It's a kingdom in this moment. And listen, everyone says, go vote, it's gonna change. I don't know, I've been through a lot of different presidents, Democrat and Republican. I don't know. Are y'all with me? I mean, there's some change that's happening, but I think the change that we want is, is not going to just happen by laws. Legislation can establish laws, a military can enforce laws, and courts can interpret laws, and officials can write laws, but only the gospel of Jesus Christ can change hearts. And it is only through Jesus and his heart change. Come on, let me know. There's no law that we can ever pass that's going to change people's hearts. And what we're seeing right now is we're, pe- we're seeing people's hearts exposed. And, 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 and what scares me is, is how will our nation be after the election's over? Someone's winning and someone's losing. Someone's going to cheer and someone's going to be really upset. But how does the church of Christ that names the church of Christ, how are we going to love one another? Not people who vote the same way, but how are we going to love people who maybe vote differently than us? How are we going to love people if our candidate wins or if our candidate loses? How are we going to be the church that makes the appeal come back to God? Come back to God. Come back to God. Our hope is not in the White House. Our hope is in God's house. And God, 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 only God is going to see what he wants to do. But how many know, no matter who goes into office, at whatever level it is, I mean, God is still king. He still rules. We give our vote to man, but we give our hearts to God. And I want to end today with uh, a quote from W. Ian Thomas when he says this. Make sure it's God's trumpet you're blowing. Because if it's only yours, it won't wake the dead. It'll only disturb the neighbors. That is a strong quote right there. To make sure that the only thing that we are blowing and championing, come on, is that Jesus is the champion overall. He is the champion overall. God, may you get all the glory. God, may you get all the honor. God, may everything that we say, everything that we post, everything that we share honor you. And may it be what you stand for, God. Our opinions are subject to what you say in your word. May your word rule and reign, God, we pray. We pray in this election, God, that you would be honored, that you would be glorified. God, I pray, Lord, that what the enemy has meant to be divisive and to destroy... God, I pray right now that you would unite and you would heal. And may it start in God's house. God, may it start in my heart. God, may it start in our hearts. God, that we would be humble people, that we would walk in humility, that we would do what your prayer was, that the new commandment you give to us is to love one another, for us to put you first. God, we know that your two greatest purposes, God, is your glory and the advancement of your kingdom. Those are the two things that are on your agenda. And so, God, I pray that those would be the two things that are on our agendas, that you are glorified in all that we say, do, talk, share, and, God, that your kingdom would be advanced through our lives. God, we we repent today, God, if we have done things that have dishonored people, dishonored you. God, we repent of those things. God, I I, I pray, Lord, that, that your church in this moment that we would repent and turn to you and put you first. God, that, that you would have all of our hearts. And God, that in doing so, even through this season, God, that, that, 
that it would draw people to you. You would draw people to you. God, we pray revival and repentance to be broken out in America, God. And let it start in us. Let it start in us. Come on, as we're praying right now, if you're here, just eyes closed in this place. You, you would say, you know what? I, I know, I know that God is not the king of my life. He is not. He, he, he's not. I, I've put other things ahead of him. The beauty of the gospel and the greatest news that ever came on this planet is that God came for broken people and broken sinners, and he came to take shame and guilt, and he came not only to introduce us to a new life, but to a new kingdom, a new way of doing things. And Today, the Bible says that you can't even enter into the kingdom of heaven unless one is born again, unless one has submitted their life to him. God, we thank you, Lord, that, that in this moment that you are calling us, you're drawing us. If you're here in this room and you have never been born again, you've never prayed to ask God be the Lord and the Savior of your life. If that's you in this room, nobody looking around, but say, that's me. Pastor Josh, I want to submit. I want him to be first place. If that's you, shoot your hand up all across this place. If that's you, thank you, thank you. Anybody else? Anybody else? Thank you. If you're online right now, just, man, that's, that's me. That's me. Can we just pray this together? All of us in this room, we're going to just pray. Would you pray, dear Lord Jesus? Come on. Today, I submit to you as the King, Lord, and Savior of my life. I repent of putting myself first. Today, take the throne of my heart. I submit my life to you. Thank you for taking my sins, my shame, and my guilt. You rose from the grave to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. I love you. I give you my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, OSC family. Can we celebrate today?